find the greatest felt need and work to meet that need. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. And as we do, we are talking to people and capturing their testimonies on their experiences and journeys with God. Hey, follow us on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. You can also catch Disciple of City on Facebook. And please reach out and let us know what you think at discipleacity.ca. Title your email, the Toddcast, and say hello or leave a story. Now that we got all that out of the way, let's get after it. And my guest today originally hails from Listowell, Ontario. She's built houses. She's welded metal. She's a mom of three. And as far as this guy sees it, she's the CEO of Disciple of City. Please welcome Melissa Shepsky. How's it going? It's good. Glad to be here. Oh, we're glad to have you. Yes. Thanks for coming into our studios. sorry it's that coffee you didn't bring me (laughs) oh melissa good to see you how's things going today good awesome yeah it's nice outside it is nice outside yeah i was surprised actually it's actually been uh quite cold Mm -hmm. in our studios here just outside in our secret location just outside of peterborough ontario but hey the sun's shining it's warm warm as oh listen to that eh (laughs) Currently trying to shut this off. <laughs> there we go. Super prepared. Super prepared. So, Melissa, CEO, before we get into that, your big <laughs> title and being in charge and everything, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's talk about where, where it all began. Yeah. Let's talk about Listowell, um, how you grew up in the yeah. church or sort of your faith background as a kid. What was that like for you? Yeah, so I grew up in the church like... Jesus is all I've ever really known, which is really awesome. Um, My parents are amazing. They're both just wonderful humans who raised me to love Jesus. Um, And I have a a bunch of different backgrounds that have shaped me to be who I am. So I came, my family came out of the Mennonite background. Mm. Um, And then we were Baptist for a while, and then we settled into the missionary church. And so all of those denominations definitely have a hand into who I am today. Um, I remember when I was seven, there was a defining moment of my life where I was in trouble and my dad sent me to my room and I decided at that point to give my heart to Jesus (laughs) because I wanted to avoid a spanking. Um, I don't remember if it worked or not, but I know that in the midst of the silliness of that, in my little childhood mind, something did take root. Mm. And so, um, yeah, from that point on, I, I don't remember anything else other than just being hungry for the Lord. Um, then when I was 14, there was some things that were going on in my life that were hard, right? And instead of running away from God, I chose to just sink in deep. Mm. And uh, I found, I actually discovered one of my journals from back then. And I found where I wrote down, like, I decided to rededicate my life to the Lord and to like, just throw it all in for him. And then I chose to get baptized and, um, yeah, it's just been him ever since. It's cool to hang on to those things and then to find them later in life. Eh? Yeah. And I guess that it either worked when you were seven or it wasn't really a hard spanking. eh? Well, I didn't get one. I don't think <laughs> so. who knows? Um, and um, the funny thing is I don't journal ever. So the fact that I wrote that down was, I think it was 
it showed how important that was to me yeah. at that time. Cause there's very few things that I've written down over my life. Um, you talked about Mennonite background. Like, mm. did your, is that, did one of your parents or both of them sort of grow up that way or? Oh, uh, yeah. So it's very lengthy to try and explain it all, but my, my whole family background is Mennonite. Yeah. Um, there's different levels of Mennoniteism, Mennoniteness. Yeah. Um, so, but you guys didn't. No. So like when I was a child, my parents, like we didn't grow up with horse and buggies or anything like that, but I have family members who still drive those. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Something that's always interested me, but yeah, we can get into it later. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll go back up to the green room and that's right. talk about that. <laughs> um, okay. So, so take us through then after because there's lots of stuff to talk about right want to talk about you've made a lot of trips to el salvador um did that start happening when you were a teenager or take us from yeah like your teens to when you started doing that so when i was 14 so after i i decided like yeah this is it i um i was homeschooled for high school because I just had a horrible time in elementary school. It was really rough for me. That's kind of what drove me to really rededicate and sink into the Lord, because I was just having such a hard time at school. I was picked on a lot um, and just really had a hard time making friends. And so Jesus just kind of became my all at that point. Um, And so I started to like dive into his word and just started to really grow. Um, And so the local Youth for Christ people at the time Like I knew who they were and they were like, well, you're mature for your age and you have time because you're homeschooled. So do you want to come and start to volunteer at the youth center and at the lunch programs at the high school um, and do all that kind of stuff? And so I was like, yeah, I'm bored. I love Jesus. So why not? (coughs) Excuse me. Um, So, so yeah, I started to participate in Youth for Christ activities as a volunteer at a very, very young age. And the Youth for Christ Center where we were was not an easy location. Listowel is a weird mixture of people. And so there was a lot of, there's actually a lot of like drugs and homelessness and all that kind of stuff, even in such a small town. And so my experience with Youth for Christ as a youth was actually showing up to a youth center with kids who were super high and on like really hard drugs and stuff. Wow. Yeah. So it was really fascinating that like I reflect on that, even think like, I can't believe my parents let me do that. Um, But I'm so grateful that they did, that they had high trust in who I was and my relationship with the Lord and then who the Youth for Christ staff were and what was going on. Because through that ministry, those years of being a volunteer there, um, actually shaped me and made me want to step into ministry full time. By the time I was 16, I knew this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like I want to serve God by serving people and seeing them transformed. And I got to see firsthand some pretty fantastic transformations through peer to peer discipleship. And then as I, as I grew and got married and all that entering into Youth for Christ as a staff and then just continuing that journey on in ministry. So yeah, I started full-time ministry pretty much when I was 15. Um, wow, that's really interesting because yeah. for me growing up, I didn't even know what ministry, yeah. ministry was. Yeah. I knew what a missionary, but to me, you know, it, that's like Mother Teresa. Yeah. So these stories are so interesting to me. 
Yeah, so when I was when I was 17, I started as a young leader in a young leader program that the staff were running. Um, and so I started to shape and craft ministries myself. Um, so I ran an after school program at 17 in an elementary school um, called Disorganized Sports, where we played disorganized sports and it was awesome. It was so much fun. And so by the time I was turning 18, I decided that I really wanted to go and explore the world. So my parents helped me, um, find a great way to do that. And then we settled on doing an exchange to, um, Scotland. So I went to Scotland when I was 18 with youth for Christ and I started running and helping shape youth for Christ there in Scotland. So I lived there for a year. Did it, did it already exist there or Christ existed there and they just, there was a couple of different things they'd been dreaming about ministry wise. And so when I got shipped over, like I'm kind of an all in person. So when you give me a task, I'll try and do it to the best of my ability and with full fervor. I don't know. Yeah, fervor well, works. Is that work? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And so why, when I went over there, I just took all of the experience that I had had for like, cause I wasn't an 18 year old stepping into ministry for the first time. I was an 18 year old with three years in my back pocket of walking with these incredible leaders mm. and under these incredible leaders and being given opportunities to actually try things. And so when I showed up in Scotland at 18, I just took all of that knowledge and started to apply it. And it was really awesome to see what happened there. It was a, such a different culture, but still the same needs are there, right? So yeah. People are people. People are people. And so just taking like an after school program and going like, well, that worked in Canada. So why don't we try that in Scotland? So did an 18 year old Scott come here and stay with your family? No. So an 18 year old or a young leader came and stayed somewhere in this, like in, I think he was in Belleville. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like a direct exchange. It was like, I went from, I was from Canada and went there and somebody from there came here. And did, would have volunteered with YFC. And yeah. All that. yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And so a year, that's, yeah. that's exciting. Shy of a year, yeah. Yeah. And so when you came back, what did you get into when you came back? Um, I just jumped back into youth for Christ here, but that's when I met Adam. Um, he'd become a Christian while I was away. And so through my, some of my close friends, um, they had been ministering to him. It was actually really cool because while I was in Scotland, I started to get these emails cause you know, it was a long time ago. Um, and so I got these emails talking about this Adam Shepsky guy who I had actually never met before. So we lived in the same town. We grew up like just on opposite ends of the town and we just never met. And I think it was the Lord who caused that to happen because there's no way possible we could have not met. Mm. Uh, We ran with a lot of the same people, but our paths never crossed. So through my friends, he, he came to the Lord. And then while I was still in Scotland, my dad started to mentor him. And so his whole journey with the Lord started without me being here, which is, which is actually really cool to kind of think about because I didn't have a hand in it and it helped the transition with his friends being like, what happened to Adam Shevsky? Uh, no, they couldn't blame me. So that was wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I got home and then I met him. We became acquaintances and just started serving. I started serving back again with Youth for Christ in Listowel and Adam had started volunteering because he'd become a Christian and was involved. And so then we just, you know, we just started to get to know each other a little bit and started to do ministry again. 
yeah. step back into worship leading and just all of the normal things that I was doing before I went to Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. And so what about El Salvador? Because yeah. you, you'd go down to El Salvador with your dad. Yeah. So that's a more recent thing. Um, I, I love just getting my hands in whatever. I love opportunity and I love to just try new things. And so I think it was 2018 or yeah, t- in 2018, the beginning of 2018, my dad called me up and was like, Hey, I'm going to El Salvador. I'm building houses. Do you want to come? And I was like, absolutely. Cause why not? <laughs> yeah. He was like, do you want to pray about that? I'm like, no, like, why Let's would go. I, why would I pray about building houses for people who need homes? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Let's just go do it. So, um, yeah, I got to go down for the first time. My dad had been going for about seven years prior to that. And so I was aware that this was a thing. I just had never gotten to experience it myself. Oh, okay. So, I thought it was something that you had done for years and years. No. Well, well I, I have You now, have now, yeah. But, but since you were younger. Yeah. So I mean, I've done different mission trips and stuff and have always, a lot of them have had building elements to them, which has been really cool. But this was the first one that was like exclusively like we are going with the direct purpose of building homes for people who don't have them. And was that organized through a church or was that a, a ministry or yeah, what? There's a ministry called Shelters Canada. And so their whole ministry is dedicated to El Salvador and seeing people um, have homes because the homelessness in El Salvador is extreme. There's been... That country has just gone through so much. They have had back to back, they had civil war and then they've had different like hurricanes and floods and, and everything. And so just when they start to get their feet underneath of them, it's like something happens and just wipes it all out. Um, and so shelters just saw that as a big problem and decided to do something about it. And so they have, they obviously have people on the ground there. And so yeah. you go and work with people yeah, who actually so, live there as well. And yeah. So there's one guy in Canada from Canada who moved his family down like a number of years ago. I can't remember how many years. Um, and so he's kind of like overseeing it. So, cause he's kind of like the bridge between El Salvador and Canada, but the rest of the team down in El Salvador is all El Salvadorians. It's so cool. There's like, they've hired like 30 to 40 people. So to like help build houses and to translate, to partner with the Canadians who come down. They love the Canadian partnership. Like they can do it all themselves, but there's something beautiful that happens when you bring two different cultures together. Um, it, it shows to the people in El Salvador that people care outside of their own cult- culture, mm. right? That like the whole like love your neighbor thing is really important to them. The, to the ministry of shelters, because when Canadians give up of their time and their money to come down and build houses, it's loving your neighbor on purpose is kind of how they view it. And it just models something so beautiful to the people because it's just not normal for people in El Salvador to do dirty work, right? If you, if you're well off, you don't do dirty work. And so for all these Canadians who they see is wealthy to come down and get so dirty and do manual labor. It just blows their mind and it helps them just realize I can do this. Like we can do this for each other. It's not just them doing it for us, but like I can turn around and and serve my neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting what you say about them. uh, Like something special about the two cultures coming together and realizing that people care about them. Uh, It just made me really quick think about Serbia, talking to a few people while we were in Serbia who were blown away that we would, of course, we're going there for a different reason, but that 
that people would actually come there because they've a, a bunch of people there said they very much felt like forgotten people yep. in Europe, you know? Yep. So, and they're so totally not. Yeah. And it's the same with El Salvador and loads of different places. I know like there's been trips, Disciplicity has done to Africa and stuff, right? Where like people feel forgotten and just showing up, like it's, it's sometimes some places it's not enough to just give financially, right? Like it's beautiful to be able to do that and to be able to serve people and fill a need. But sometimes that need is actually like, I just need to see you. Yeah. Like I've been to El Salvador three times now and now like going, like I, I have friends there. I have people there that I actually pray for on a regular basis because I know they're, I see their life and they've become, it's become knit with mine. Right. And they, they don't need, they don't want my money. They want me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's just something so beautiful about that. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the last couple of years you haven't been able to get back, but I'm sure you're hoping to go back in the near future. I'd love to get back, get back down there. Yeah. Great connections made. And when you would go there, uh, would you, would you go and do some evangelism stuff too? Or would you just kind of focus on being with the people that you're there with? Cause obviously at the end of building it in a day, maybe, or are you just yes. sort of hanging out with the crew down there? So the main goal is to build houses, right? Um, to be like the practical side of, of evangelism, I guess you could say, yeah. um, in intermixed with that, we spend time with each family that we built the house for. We sit and we get to know them and, and kind of do a little bit of an, an interview, so to speak, where you're like, tell us your story. How, like, how are you, where you are, you know, who are you? And then we have, we spend time being able to pray for them, um, and just speak life into them. And so, and then shelters themselves, they're set up beautifully where they actually have like people like pastors who are kind of in each of the areas who spend time with the families and they do a lot of the evangelism stuff because culturally they speak the language. They can fluently communicate all of that kind of stuff. We, us showing up is like the physical representation of what they're already speaking to them about. Right. Right. So it's like, God loves you. You need to know Jesus. We want you to understand him. He cares for you. And then a group of Canadians show up and they're like, see. Yeah. Yeah. Precious as. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay. That's really cool. Um, what about, take us now back to Listowell. Yeah. And then you know, a little bit about how you and Adam got connected, like as far as getting married goes and stuff like that. And then what if, what eventually brought you, you guys to Peterborough area? Yeah. So our, our relationship was a quick, a quick romance, as they say. <laughs> we, uh, we met, got engaged and married within one year. Um, yeah, that's quick. Yeah, it's super quick. And in fact, it's way quicker than even that sounds. So we met in June but we kind of were like acquaintances and then all of our friends went away to university in August. So we were the only two our age left. We had nobody to hang out with. We had nobody but each other to hang out with. And we were already serving with Youth for Christ, volunteering, and we were both like on the worship team and we were the only ones left. So we always did a lot of those things together because we were the only ones left. We were 19 at the time. So at the end of August, everybody left. We hung out for September and we got engaged at the end of October. 
Hmm. Yeah. And that happened very quickly. It was just a, Hey, I think I could marry you someday. That's what I said. And then he turned and said, well, did you say it like that too? Just kind of like, Hey, "Hey, I think I could marry you someday. You know, we, we we might as well. Super, super chill. Everybody else is gone. (laughs) (laughs) We were just like, well, I guess you're here. So, (laughs) um, no, we, we had, there was a week in there where it turned from like, I really like spending time with you to like, I love you. Mm. And for me, it was a moment of, I can't imagine not serving the Lord with you. That's the conclusion I came to. And so at that point I was like, well, I think I could marry you someday. And so he turned and said, well, do you want to marry me? And I was like, okay. And that was it. (laughs) What about the knee and the whole thing? Yeah. My brother cornered him and was like, you need to like give her a ring. Like you you have a week. That's a brother. Yeah. My big brother did that. And so I really want to meet him now. Yeah. He's fantastic. (laughs) Um, And so after that week, Adam had bought me a ring and then got down on his knees and proposed. And I mean, like we never tell that side of the story because we like the other one better. It's way more us. I like the one with the brother. Yes. Telling Adam what's what. Get on it, Adam. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that we got engaged the end of October. We kept that a bit of a secret for like, you know, two months because it really freaked people out that we were in a relationship so quickly because he had just become a Christian. He was only a Christian for what, like four, four months before August. Like, so six months he was, he was a Christian for six months and off of drugs for six months. Right. So it was, it was a very quick romance. And I think the only reason it happened was because my dad had, back to that beginnings time when he became a Christian, my dad had started mentoring him. And so my dad knew his spiritual journey. So when we fell in love with each other, my dad just wasn't surprised, right? He knew he had seen and witnessed the transformation that had happened. And so he gave us his blessing. (laughs) And so, yeah, we got married the following June. We were just, we had just both turned 20 and just babies. Wore Converse shoes. Love that. Yep. Wore Converse's to my wedding. That's good. Yeah. Didn't know what we were getting into, but got married. We just knew that we both just absolutely loved the Lord, loved serving the Lord together and just desired to do that forever. And so then you were both serving for YFC. Yeah. So we, we, we spent the first year of our marriage just seeing where the Lord took us. And we just, we knew that we were going to step into ministry. We just didn't know what that would look like. Um, so at, at the end of that year, God spoke to us very clearly about stepping into full-time ministry and with Youth for Christ. So we both applied for these part-time positions that were in a town called Wingham, and we got them. And um, yeah, we started working in Wingham in 2005, and we worked there until 2011 is when we, we eventually moved on from Wingham. Okay. And what, what triggered that move or what brought you up this way? Um, so I had, I had been not working with youth for Christ for a number of years there cause we had kids in that process. So, um, so then Adam had been working and I felt like I wanted to get back into youth for Christ. My kids, our kids had been, were old enough where I felt like I could start doing some ministry again, but I knew that it wasn't going to be in Wingham just with some of the scenarios and the things that had been, had happened there. I just felt like, you know what, it, it's just time to move on and, and close that door there. 
at least for me and, and Adam agreed. And so we started to just kind of look broader and go, okay, God, like if it's not Wingham, cause we feel that door is closed, then where? And I met a, a guy named Martin at a, a Youth for Christ event thing. And he was speaking about where he lived in this town called Fenland Falls. And I was like, that's not a word. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And then he mentioned this town called Bob Cajun. I was like, stop making stuff up. Like, these don't exist. What are you speaking of? I've lived in Canada my whole life. I've never heard these words before. And so we pulled out a map and he showed me where it was. I'd never even known Peterborough was a place like. Uh, what do they teach you guys in loosely, southwestern Ontario? Like, <laughs> loosely. It was like you guys were all up in the north, like you northern weirdos. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but I just never knew that Bob Cajun was a place. It's so small. Like, obviously, it's really easy to miss on a map. Yeah. And so I, we knew people who worked in Peterborough. We had knew Tim Coles. We knew Carlo Raponi. Like we had been, because we'd been with Youth for Christ for so long, we were familiar with the, the city of Peterborough, but not these small towns. And so Martin had told me about this. They were looking for a staff. And at that point I'd been looking around in different places like Orangeville and, and like different, like smaller towns. And they all had these beautiful job descriptions and then I read the one for Bob Cajun and it was find the greatest felt need and work to meet that need. That was it. And I was like, that's my job. <laughs> and so I applied and I got the position. And so at that time, Adam, been working, Adam had been working with Youth for Christ Canada. And so he can work from anywhere. Right. And so we decided to pack up our two kids at the time and put everything that we owned in a van and moved to the town you never heard of before Moved to the town that had never heard of before. (laughs) And that's what we did. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Cool. So, okay. So, and then how long did you serve also in, in Fenland Falls? So, or was it primarily? So at the start, it was primarily Bob Cajun. So I was hired in 2011 and we moved up here and then uh, probably about nine months into that, they asked me to become the director. So I started to oversee Bob Cajun and Fenland Falls. And then later on over the years, they added Lindsay to that as well. So I started by running just programming and stuff in Bob Cajun. And then it just expanded to running programming and overseeing uh, the staff and the programs that were happening in those three communities. Okay. And so now, <clears throat> now at this time now, then Adam transitioned from, YFC Canada to YFC International? Yeah, he did a number of years after that. We, at that point, then I I resigned from Youth for Christ um, just because we both couldn't do two full-time positions. Having our kids and being at home with them is just a huge priority for us. Yeah. And so we decided, we after through a lot of prayer, we decided that um, in 2016, I resigned so that he could step into full-time ministry with Youth for Christ internationally. Okay. Yeah. And so then what what became the birth of Disciple a City? Yeah, so through... Or some of the conversations that you guys had together yeah. for the inception of this. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's been a journey. Like, you know, sometimes you think you're going one way and then God just kind of redirects you and it's kind of really out of your control. Oh, 
And oftentimes those things happen when you feel like your back's up against the wall. And that's kind of where it started for us. When Adam started with Youth for Christ internationally, just some of the circumstances that happened around that time left him with really no job, but he had a job. And so it's very complicated and I don't want to get into that side of it, but he ended up with a lot of time and we're not the type of people to just sit around and twiddle our thumbs. And so throughout that, those two, the first two years of that, it was just a lot of, well, what can I do then? If I can't do this thing over here, what is it that's in front of me that I can do? And we were in Bob Cajun still and Peterborough was the closest city. And so Adam just started to really feel compelled to go start doing something in Peterborough. And the thing was ministry on the streets and just starting to really work the muscle of evangelism. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of where it was like throughout a lot of that. I'm at home with the kids cause our kids are still young at that point. Um, and so we just had a lot of conversation about like, what does it look like to serve locally? And disciple of city was that thing. And then it started. Yeah. Then it started to go. So, okay. So at that time, and then Adam, obviously in episode one for everybody listening, Adam goes, you know, pretty deep into sort of how it all began and and, and stuff like that. But at the same time that began, he was also traveling for YFC International. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask you was having three kids obviously you couldn't go on well I know you guys as families did go travel together on some of the things and sort of made family trips out of them and stuff Mm -hmm. but what was it like when for you as a mom with three kids when he would go to some places some of the countries that he went to that were like sketch like how is that stay I mean obviously you have trust in the Lord but like what was that can you capture something in your heart of what that was like when you're home with three kids and he's going somewhere crazy Yeah. So, I mean, spiritual warfare is very real. And so for every trip that he goes on, we really have learned over the years that we need to cover those trips in prayer, not for him, but for us at home. Um, There's a couple moments through on some of the trips where there was pretty, some, some pretty severe illnesses that happened with our kids where like Cademan woke up um, one morning and like couldn't move his neck his whole side was just pinched, right? And you're trying to figure out as a per, as a mom who's become a single mom for three weeks or four weeks, depending on how long the trip is, um, you, you're really thrown into like to this situation where you're like, I have two other children I need to not care for and one that's just severely sick, right? Like, okay, God, what do we do, right? And so there's that side of things where you're just having to like, really scramble and really put your trust in the Lord to kind of problem solve because your spouse isn't there. Right. Um, but, but in regards to even some of the sketch places he's been to, there's one, one moment I remember we were, we were in Australia as a family and Adam was flying to a sketch country. Um, and I remember sitting with my kids and just, we, as a family sat and we said, dad is going to a sketch country. Um, where Christians are persecuted and killed 
and him sharing Jesus with people could make him not come home to us. And we as a family just need to decide, is it worth it? And our kids all said yes. And it was just a profound moment because I just realized like, I'm talking to my kids about their dad not coming home. This is crazy. <laughs> like, I never thought that I'd have that conversation with my children. Yet here we were dedicating him to the Lord, knowing the risk, all of us knowing the risk, weighing it out and still deciding that it's worth it. And so that's, that's kind of been my side of the things where I'm holding, holding our family, but holding it loosely, right? Holding Adam loosely and allowing him and making a choice as a family to serve God, even though it could cost us something. Right. And still coming out of it saying like, this is just a hundred percent worth it. That's very, that's very profound. eh? Like how, how far are you willing to follow the Lord? Yeah. And then it's been beautiful to like bring our kids into that conversation. Cause I know a lot of people, like I've told that story to a handful of people and some of them have been like, what? You talk to your kids about that? Like, well, what else am I going to do? Like dad might not come home. We have to be honest about this. And I think it's beautiful to help our kids realize that like there's a cost to following Jesus. We can't hide that cost. We actually have to be prepared for that cost. We actually, the question isn't, do I want the cost? The question is, what is, what is the cost and am I willing to pay it? Right. And if we don't talk about that with our kids, then we're not giving them the choice to pay the cost. Yeah. Right. They need to have that choice. Right. And, and the beautiful thing is they chose it. And so if something had happened to him, they were already ready to pay that cost because they decided that it was worth it. It wasn't just me deciding for our family. It wasn't just Adam deciding for our family. We collectively decided as a family that the cost was worth it. And it's a very, um, biblical truth for the, for them to learn, right? Because the cost for following him in other parts of the world is very, very different than what it is here. Yeah. It's been neat to give our kids. I feel like it's a bit of a gift in as hard as it's been with the, the exposure that they've had to different parts of the world with Adam traveling, with me traveling, like going to El Salvador is not safe either. Let's be honest. It's the highest murder rate per capita in the world. Right. So it's not like we don't go to safe places. Yeah. Um, but it's beautiful because the, the worldview that they've, they have is very broad now because of it. Right. And the, I feel like it's a little gift that we're giving them. They understand the weight of something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what, uh, that's a hard transition, eh? Cause that's so <laughs> deep. Yeah. It's exactly. so deep and so true. Yeah. Um, it's almost, uh, yeah, I feel like wanting to not take more risk, but well, I guess I've gone some places too that are, you know, dangerous as well. But anyways, um, so moving forward, Disciple of City in the future is really busy times for us all right now, right? Doing yeah. this every Disciple Sent events <laughs> coming up very shortly. It's crazy. Um you know, and traveling across the country to do these things. Um, and, and obviously, and you've been taking on more as this thing is 
moving forward. What, what are your, what are your hopes? What do you really want to see for this ministry? And, and what do you, uh, well, let's just start with that. What are you hoping to see for the future of this ministry? Um, I would actually love to see my dream is that this ministry doesn't need to exist anymore. Not because I don't love it, but because it's not needed, right? Like Disciple of City exists because we're not discipling people, right? Just to put it bluntly, we suck at it. I do. Like I've learned so much over the last number of years and I've come to the conclusion that as Christians, we just aren't good at the thing that we're meant to do the most. Right. And so, yeah, my dream in the long run is that disciple city doesn't need to be here anymore because people are discipling the city. Yeah. So. Blunt is so good. Eh? <laughs> it is. <laughs> and I know, I, I know you're blunt too. I should have a couple of questions written just for when Melissa throws something out blunt and then she's done and I got to be ready for the next one. <laughs> That's right. Short and sweet. Um, and what about your kids? What's, what's your, what's your hopes for your kids? Like, I mean, this is, it's so good. They've got to experience all these things and, mm-hmm. and travel and stuff. What's your ultimate, what's your ultimate hopes for them in how they see the Lord? Yeah, I want them to understand. Well, the way we've we've raised them is we've always said and we believe that there's no junior Holy Spirit, right? So you don't need to be an adult with years of experience in your pocket to experience the Holy Spirit. So my my hope for my kids is that over the next couple of years, especially when they're still young, that they would latch on to that understanding that the Holy Spirit is just as much for them as it is for me and that they would start to get strengthened in that and that they would start to see more miracles than they've already seen because of their obedience, not just because of our obedience. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Mm. Well, Melissa... Um, I got another question for you, but thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for spending some time with us here today. Anytime. It's hard to get the CEO of this thing. <laughs> I'm super busy. <laughs> Away from Such the busyness. Busy schedule. Right. Um, when, uh, when the boys are grown and, and left the nest, if you will. Yeah. What, uh, and I don't know if you've thought this far forward or whatever, cause it's so busy with three of three too, right? You kind of yeah. don't even really necessarily think that far, but what are you, what are you desiring to do? Or have you even thought of that when, when they fly the nest and you sort of have that open time for yourself? Are we talking like spiritual ministry stuff? Or are we talking just in general? I only really like to talk about spiritual stuff here yeah, on the show. We can true. talk about in general super later. Specific. Specific. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically. I'll be blunt. Where do you see yourself spiritually when your kids leave the house? Melissa, go. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> haven't really given much thought? No, I haven't because I don't know. I don't like to make plans before before I'm there. Like that's still, that's still a number of years away. And God's been doing so much in me over the last, even just five years, I've changed so much that I don't even think I could tell you. Like if you ask me that question, my answer is going to change in five years. 
because I'm going to be a different person in five years. Well, that's Because I'm growing. So whatever I tell you today will be 100% wrong. Well, I guarantee you that. Sure, that's possible. Yeah. I mean, I could tell you what I'm thinking, but this episode's not about me, so <laughs> you I'm not going to tell, gonna tell, tell you. Me. Do no. tell, Todd. No, I'm not telling you. I'm interested. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming on the show, taking some time and talking to us and giving us a little background and history. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Love it. So good. Oh, I got one that you'll have to answer. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, although it'll have happened by the time this episode airs, yep. what do you want to see or what do you hope to encounter with this Every Disciple Sent event that's coming up right here in the city of Peterborough, which is on the map and most people know where it is? <laughs> What, what, do I, what I hope to see? Yeah, like your heart. What does your heart hope to see in this for, oh, for this man. city? I hope to see many, many believers be stirred, like stirred in the depths of who they are in the realization of who they are in Christ, what they've been empowered to do, and then released to go and do that. Yeah. Nice and blunt. Love it. It's no messing around with Melissa, folks. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks again for sharing and for being blunt and bold and just the way the Lord made you. Amen. Yeah. And I really hope that you uh, get down to back down to El Salvador to see your friends real soon Thanks. and get back into that because I know how much you really enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be good. See ya. You could say goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening in today, everyone. That's the CEO from Disciple of City. And all her bluntness, it's so good. And some really profound things there of having those conversations with her kids about what we're willing to sacrifice to the Lord. How much are we willing to to do to follow him what risks are we willing to take to follow him and how sometimes just showing up can mean the world to people I hope this encourages you to follow him to have him in your heart and to display Christ's heart and show up and be with the people that he loves and wants to reach. See you next week.